How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. Along after our 8 o'clock update on the fan this morning, it's the Sports Edge with uh, Rick Wolf. Ed Randall is by after our 9 o'clock update. And we move into a discussion in hour two of our program this morning that I think you're going to find very interesting. Gentleman is joining us whose name many of you know. Vinny Politan is joining us. He's the lead anchor of Court TV, courttv.com, the website, which is relaunching in May of this year. Vinny, in his background, an Emmy Award-winning legal journalist, um, he was a popular face on the original uh, Court TV, and led the network's coverage of some very compelling trials. Uh, he is um, a lawyer, a former prosecutor, and I'm pleased to say that he is joining us um, by phone on our program for this hour. Vinny, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning. Great to uh, be back on Court TV. <laughs> now, there are people who are listening to this discussion who they don't know what court TV was all about. Some of them, because they're young, others just may not know. What is court TV? All right, court TV is a uh, national television network that brings cameras into the courtroom that uh, shows the public and, and allows the public to see what's happening in our third branch of government, which is the judicial branch. Cameras in the courtroom, real trials, real verdicts, uh, real defendants, uh, each and, and every day bringing you um, your front row seat to justice. It's, you know, it was around for a couple of decades and then disappeared, and now we're back uh, with an ability for folks to see what happens day in and day out inside our judicial system. Okay, this begs a very important question. Should cameras be allowed in every courtroom in this country? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is something that people don't really, you know, in my business, I think about it all the time. But something that people don't think about is that our courtrooms are public courtrooms. Okay. So you can go down to the local courthouse anytime you want, walk in and sit down and watch the trials that are happening. Now, if you don't have the ability to get down there, uh, what we try to do is bring that to your home, which is, hey, instead of you getting in the car, going down to the courthouse, trying to find a parking spot, getting in there, walking around those hallways and, and going in to see what's happening, we're doing that for you. So instead of you having to go there, we put our cameras and microphones there so you can see it. These are public proceedings. That's like the foundation uh, of our democracy is that we have uh, public courtrooms, public trials. There are no secret courtrooms in our country. How much did the presence of cameras in the courtrooms change the nature of those proceedings, or did it? It doesn't. It just shows you what's really happening. And, and that's, a, that's a great question, because sometimes you'll see these attorneys making these 
uh, you know, outrageous arguments or colorful arguments inside a courtroom. That happens whether the cameras are there or not, because the, the, the only people that attorneys are concerned with when they're trying a case are the usually 12 people inside the jury box, the ones who have to make that uh, decision. So when you see someone uh, making a colorful argument or a really intense cross-examination, they're doing it because they are trying to convince the 12 jurors. They're not necessarily trying to convince the people who may be watching this trial on television. The average judicial proceeding, some people will think, especially people who may never have been in a courtroom, watched a proceeding take place, they may think, oh, wait a minute, this is going to be something that's going to go on for a long time. Won't this be boring? No, not at all. And, and here's why I say this. Well, well number one, we're going to filter out the, the uh, cases that may not be as exciting, right? Someone is appealing their um, tax return. or You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the cases we're picking are the ones that are inherently uh, dramatic and important. And, and they're cases that either have been high profile through the coverage of news or involve a story or issue that we know is going to be extremely compelling. And here's the other part of this is that the cases that go to, I'm a former prosecutor myself. Mm -hmm. So 95 to 98% of cases um, don't go to trial. There's a, and, and in the criminal world, we're talking about a plea deal, right? Someone will take a deal and, the, the 2%, the 3% that go to trial are the ones that are being contested. And they could be being contested for many different reasons. One of the main reasons is, is that it's not necessarily a slam dunk for, for the prosecution uh, in the case. So the defendant may be alleging that he's factually innocent or as what our legal standards are in this country, the prosecutor cannot prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt. So these types of cases that are contested that are tough calls um, that are not so obvious to everyone uh, become extremely uh, dramatic and, and extremely compelling. Okay, you just used a term that probably raised the hackles of some of the people listening to our discussion today, and that term oh. is plea deal. Okay, some people yeah. hear that term and their skin starts to crawl. Uh, why does that get such a bad rap? Uh, I think it does because people think that, that someone's getting away with something, um, that, that someone, you know, oh, this, this, this guy or this woman is guilty, but they're getting a deal, right? Like they're, they're getting over on the system. Uh, but it's the only way our system works is that cases can be resolved and do get resolved before a trial. If every case that was indicted had to go to trial, we would need, you know, 60 times as many judges and courtrooms. Um, and, and the reason that a plea deal occurs is that, um, first, the defendant is guilty of something. And, and second, there's an acknowledgement of the proof. And there's an acknowledgement from the prosecutor that it is better to know exactly what your result is going to be than to wait to see what a jury may or may not do with it. Because proving a case beyond a reasonable doubt Again, as a former prosecutor, not the easiest thing in the world, even with uh, great proof that you have in your case. So what a plea deal does uh, for the criminal defendant is, is mitigates the damage, the exposure, the amount of time that he or she may have to serve 
uh, from the prosecution perspective, it, it guarantees a result. So I know that someone I believe is guilty and that the evidence will show is guilty will be held accountable for that crime. But some people will contend that they're being held accountable, but not to the extent that they should be. Again, you don't know as a prosecutor what those 12 people are going to say. Mm. You put 12, pe- 12 people who maybe have never even been in a courtroom before inside that jury box, and you just don't know what's going to happen. There could be some um, problems with some of the proof in your case. Maybe you have a witness who, okay, yeah, I, I believe them. But will 12 people believe them beyond any and all reasonable doubt? Will a judge suppress some of the evidence that I have? You know, maybe one of the search warrants that we executed, uh, this judge will say, you know, was based on uh, bad information. Or there's certain uh, pieces of evidence that that you need um, that the judge may not permit. So all of these things kind of go into the um, equation for a prosecutor to determine what sort of deal to offer. And sometimes you've got a criminal defendant who's been charged with many different things, and they've got you know seven outstanding cases, and you have an ability now to resolve all of them with some sort of a global uh, plea agreement, so you can hold them accountable for all of those cases, and uh, but they get they get something less than what the maximum could be. Mm. I'd be remiss also if I didn't ask you, especially now, because this is a hot item in the news from the past week, this whole situation with Jesse Smollett um, in Chicago. Oh, boy. Your reaction? Uh, my first reaction is is that um, this was not a normal deal that someone gets. Now, here, here's, here's what happens in our system of justice. First-time offenders in a, a nonviolent case may get a diversionary program. And what I mean is they may have the opportunity to prove to the court um, that this was an aberration and get the case dismissed. And the way this usually works is you go into court, maybe you admit what you did, maybe you don't admit what you did, maybe you admit that there's enough evidence uh, to prove you guilty. Uh, but despite all of that, the judge and the prosecutor come up with, um, and the defense agrees to certain conditions that you must complete. And then, uh, down the road, come back to court. If you complete these conditions, then your case may be dismissed. And then further down the road, uh, the, the charges and the arrest and everything may be expunged from, from your record. And what usually is the case is, you know, it's three to six months of, um, some sort of community service, some mm-hmm. classes, some sort of counseling um, uh, is done. You, you also demonstrate to the court that you're going to stay out of trouble for the next certain amount of time. And if you complete all that, then you come back to court and then the case gets dismissed. That happens all the time. What doesn't happen all the time is you get indicted on 16 felony counts <laughs> and then just out of the blue, the case is dismissed immediately. The, the, your record is expunged and the file is sealed. That doesn't happen. Vinny Politan is our guest this hour of our program on The Fan.
We are in discussion with Vinny Politan on our program. Vinny is the lead anchor of Court TV. Yep, Court TV is relaunching in May of this year. Court TV, all is one word, dot com. The website, Vinny, as I mentioned in introducing him earlier in our discussion, a lawyer, a former prosecutor. Um, he has covered a lot of uh, crime trials and justice over, for over a 20-year period. And uh, he's sharing some insights with us. Now, the new court TV, is it going to be any different? Uh, well, the, the basic premise is the same, is that we're giving you live gavel-to-gavel coverage of the trials. But folks who followed court TV through the years saw that the trial, the, the length of the, our trial day sort of shrunk through the years, uh, and that's not going to be the case. So we'll be on the air uh, for a longer period of time, and we'll be able to cover the trials all the way to the end of the day uh, without any sort of problem, whether it's East Coast or West Coast. So I think that's the, the biggest change is that you're going to get more trials on Core TV, more trial time uh, when the network relaunches this May. What if there was one or two trials that you covered that stood out as most fascinating from the standpoint of a reporter covering them? What would come uh, to the first? The first one is the trial of Casey Anthony, and Casey Anthony was a, a woman from Orlando, Florida, down in Orange County, who was accused of murdering her daughter Kaylee Marie, who was uh, a, a young girl. You know, and this case, um, you know, captivated the nation, and, and we covered it from from the beginning, from the time that the young girl went missing to when her body was recovered to the time that. Casey Anthony was charged with murder, then facing the death penalty. And this trial, um, I watched it. I saw that. I was in Orlando. I saw all the evidence that came through. And at the end of the case, when it came to the, the charges uh, connected to the homicide of this little girl, the jury came back and said not guilty. And I was shocked. Many people were shocked. Uh, but the one uh, point that this hit home to me was the fact that um, how difficult it is to prove someone guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That um, the, the re- reasonable doubt means something different for each and every jury when they get together. And despite all the overwhelming evidence, uh, this jury is still not convinced, which demonstrates how difficult it is in our system uh, to do that. But it's a good thing. It, it, it's a good thing. And I, and I think it makes our system the best in the world. In a case like that, as a prosecutor, I mean, obviously, you're going to be shocked by that. How do you deal with the defeat? It, it was tough for the for the DA down in um, down in Orlando, but the way he dealt with it, um, is he ran. He was a he was the first assistant DA. He ran for DA and actually won, and was running the office afterwards. Uh, but it's tough because there is a, an emotional connection to your cases because you're talking about holding someone responsible for the death of an innocent little girl. And you believe you have all the evidence in the world to prove it. And you feel like you have that, that burden on your shoulders to carry on behalf of, of the people of the state that you are representing. Um, and, and it's tough and it takes a lot out of you. I mean, when, when you try a case, especially a murder case like that. I mean, you are living that case day in and day out. And this was a three month trial and it was uh, extremely intense. The days were long. 
um, for for the uh, attorneys involved. Uh, but in the end, when you come up short like that, you know, you you feel like you um, that justice hasn't been done. And prosecutors don't make a lot of money, right? They're, they're not in it for the money. They're in it because they feel like they want to want to do justice. Mm. Skeptical people might think, are they also in it because they're sort of looking ahead to the next job? Hey, well, that, that's a great, great observation. And I think it depends upon the type of prosecutor you're talking about. There are career prosecutors that I worked with. I left the office, you know, after much less time than they did, and they stayed in for the long haul. Um, and it really depends. There are some who are in it, who, who, who run offices that um, are looking as a stepping stone, right? You see this a lot in the federal system, more so than state prosecutors. In the, in, the, in the federal system, you'll see someone who is the U.S. attorney for a particular district, and they're using that to raise their profile uh, because they're going to run for office. If you're familiar with the show Billions, mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of hits the, hits the nail on the head with what happens, uh, unfortunately, to a certain extent in our federal system. Obviously, you have some great career prosecutors there, but a lot of the people who are um, leading those offices are, are there um, not so much, well, maybe you know, they want to do justice, right? They want to do the right thing, but they see it as an opportunity to advance their political career versus their legal career. All right, let's talk for a moment about the situation for students studying law. Should they, and is it a recommendation of yours, that they also take media classes? I think it depends on where your practice is going to be. Now, I have a brother who's an incredibly successful attorney, but he's a corporate attorney, transactional guy. So mm-hmm. uh, he's rarely in front of the media. media. But if you're going to be a litigator and you are going to be, um, whether, whether you're a plaintiff's attorney, you know, someone who's going after you know, traditionally like big tobacco and, and all the ones that you see that do the advertisements that are, um, you know, filing these lawsuits and going after big class actions, cases like that. Or if you're going to be a criminal defense attorney, I think you should understand the way the media works. And and it's interesting because I, I, I've spoken in front of groups of attorneys because of my background being an attorney and in the media uh, to help them better understand this world. And um, there are some attorneys who just run away from the media rather than use the media to help them or help their clients. So I think it'd be, it's extremely helpful uh, if you're in that particular line of work, whether it's a criminal defense or high profile civil litigation, but yeah, you, you should understand how the media works and not be so scared of us. I understand what you mean by that, but not everybody listening may understand when you say use the media. <laughs> well, You've got a case. You've got a, you've got a theme. Now, if you've got a, a high-profile case, there is um, the, the public perception of what happened to your client, right? And when, when someone gets arrested, what do they see on the news? They see someone walk, you know, in, in handcuffs. You see someone who looks really guilty inside a courtroom, whether they're in an orange suit or whether they're just standing there being accused of X, Y, and Z. Well, the nature of our... Um, legal system is that there's always at least two sides to a story. So uh, if you stay quiet and say nothing and allow the other side 
to be the only ones uh, explaining to the uh, to the public what the allegations are. And prosecutors always get that initial advantage because when someone's arrested, the whole story is, what are they arrested for? What did they do? The story isn't, you know, what really happened or what is their defense or what is their position on this? And, and just saying, uh, we'll have our day in court. I mean, that makes you sound even more guilty <laughs> from my perspective. <laughs> if, if, you've, if you've got something of a story, somewhat of a story, you can tell it. And trust me, the media wants to hear it. The media will listen to anyone that is talking. And prosecutors, after the initial arrest, uh, usually are limited uh, about what they, what they can comment on as they get closer to the trial by uh, certain ethical standards that most states have. So it really is the advantage to the defense or to a plaintiff's attorney to get out there and tell your story. Okay. This leads perfectly into something that I often think about in discussions like this. And we're talking with Vinnie Politan. He is the lead anchor of Court TV, CourtTV.com website. Court TV is relaunching in May of this year. This idea that some people have who are defendants of representing themselves in court, in the tri- <laughs> trial situation. How, how bad an idea is that? It is absurd. And, and here's the thing. You, you wouldn't even want uh, a lawyer who just graduated law school representing you in a courtroom because there's, there's things like the rules of evidence and the flow of a trial and understanding um, what is happening in a courtroom that only comes through the uh, experience and having done it and seen it and lived it. If you are representing yourself, um, especially in a criminal sense, now what's happening is every word you say, everything you do, that jury is judging you, right? Mm-hmm. And um, if, if you're representing yourself, you may think, I know the case better than anyone. I know what I'm doing. I don't trust this public defender. Um, you don't understand the big picture. Um, and, and, the, and the thing that we would, as attorneys, always say is like, okay, yes, you've got WebMD.com and all these websites you can go on now. But if you are really sick or you need surgery, are you going to do it on yourself? Or are you going to get someone <laughs> who trained in school, had some sort of an apprenticeship and has done it uh, many times before? It's, it's the same thing, and the results can be as disastrous. I mean, I have never it, – it's, it's, but there are still cases like that, which is the amazing thing. And you know, people give public defenders a bad name. Public defenders spend their entire careers inside a courthouse and inside a courtroom. They know the best deal you can get. They know how to try cases. They know their way in and out. They understand what's happening. Um, I mean, it's crazy. It's foolish. And I always look back on the first case that I tried as an attorney. It was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. And that's after law school. So come on. What was the case? Um, I was a prosecutor and it was a simple, not a simple, but it was a DUI case. So it was in front of a judge, not a jury. So, you know, it was a good choice by the folks at the prosecutor's office to not have me in front of a jury right out of the box. Mm-hmm. But it, it got to the point where um, there was another se- more senior attorney that was watching me try this case. And I was trying to get something into evidence. And I was 
couldn't figure out how to do it. So I kind of leaned over to the um, to my colleague who was there, and he whispered a few things and, and then kind of clarified the situation for me. At that point, my opponent, who was also just out of law school, uh, objects to the judge. Says, "Objection, judge! He's <laughs> cheating. He's not allowed to tell him what to do." And the judge like laughed at him. He said, "Counselor, sit down. He's allowed to get help from someone else." In his office. <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, very interesting discussion we're having with Vinnie Pollitt. And by the way, I should have mentioned, too, um, folks who are listening to us um, may have a, a thought or a question you want to pose in the course of our discussion. You can. Uh, 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. This idea of um, the relaunch of uh, Court TV in May of this year, how excited are you? This is unreal. So I was at Court TV originally. I never would have left Court TV, right? It's rare, uh, you know, in, in our business to, to have a job and you're not like looking for the next job, the next job. <laughs> but un- True. <laughs> Unfortunately, what happened with Court TV was it was um, the folks who ran it at the time, Turner Broadcasting. Mm. Well, actually, uh, when, when I was working there, Liberty Media owned half of it and Turner Broadcasting owned half of it. Their deal expired, so one side had to buy out the other. So Turner wanted uh, the other half of Court TV. At the time, they owned the Atlanta Braves. So they sent the Atlanta Braves to Liberty Media in exchange for the other half of Court TV. So in essence, I was traded for Chipper Jones back <laughs> in the day, straight up. So after, after that happens, uh, Turner decides that they want to rebrand the network um, and they wanted to move away from the trial coverage, believing they could get more viewers. So uh, Court TV was turned into what's now True TV, and then it sort of faded out. And then uh, I worked at uh, HLN, which was a sister station for a short while, but they sort of faded out the trial coverage as well. Um, and I was left, you know, here I am, uh, a former lawyer who's in the media, and there's no place where I can do what I love to do day in and day out. And uh, so, you know, when I was doing regular news, I did some I worked at the local NBC down here in Atlanta because um, uh, not because I'm a Braves fan, but because, uh, uh, you know, one of my children to not have to move again. And then I got, I got the call and it was like um, the most amazing moment that I got the call that, Hey, Vinny, uh, you know, court TV is coming back. Would you like to be a part of it? I was like, and there's probably some bad negotiating by me for my, my new contract because <laughs> I was like, yes! <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think I played my hand a little too strong. <laughs> but anyhow, I'm, I'm so happy to be back because this is what I love to do. You know, you, you take the deep dive into these stories and these trials. Um, I have a level of experience and, and expertise that, uh, that I'm able to take advantage of. And the stories are so... Um, compelling, and I think it's important too. Um, when when a viewer, for whatever whatever the reason, they're watching a particular trial, whether it's because it's a celebrity or it's because a case that they they listen to a podcast about, whatever. I don't care how they come here, but once they're here, I my job is to is to let them understand uh, what's happening in the case and get them exposed to our system of criminal justice because sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But I think people need to um, see it in action more often. 
um, rather than just read the headline about some verdict uh, happening and, and people getting to understand why that verdict happened so they can um, trust the verdict and, and, and trust what's happening in our system, or if they don't like what's happening in our system, uh, then do something about it. So exactly. uh, I think it's a great, great opportunity, and it's such a, a gaping hole right now in the media that no one has been doing this for some time. Vinny Politan, lead anchor of Court TV, our guest on The Fan this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in an interesting discussion with Vinny Politan on our program. Vinny is the lead anchor of Court TV, courttv.com, the website. Uh, Court TV is relaunching in May of this year. Vinny, an Emmy Award-winning legal journalist. He was a popular face on the original Court TV. Uh, he is a, a former prosecutor and attorney, and uh, he is sharing some insights with us in our discussion one of the things that has been hot and heavy in the news of late is this whole college admissions cheating scandal. I'd like to get your thoughts on that and on the coverage of this that we have seen thus far. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we all agree that the behavior uh, or alleged behavior by these parents is, is, is beyond, uh, you know, it, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, allegedly trying to uh, figure out some side way to your back door to get into these universities across the country. So the behavior is outrageous. And I think we all agree to that. Uh, when I look at it and no one's, no one's really talking about this, but I have been talking about this is um, it's to me, it's interesting that this is now being dealt with in, in, a, in a criminal text. And, um, it has raised to me the issue of, and being a parent with kids that you know, have one at Florida State, another who's in high school right now, uh, and another who is, is getting ready to give birth to my first grandchild, um, is where is the line between cheating and committing crimes where your liberty should be taken away for years behind bars? And to me, that's what this whole thing is really, really about. Um, you know, you're talking about cheating on the ACTs, getting someone to take that test. Well, there are thousands, I would argue, of uh, tutors out there who are helping uh, prospective students get into colleges, who are helping them, and in some cases, writing their essays for them for their college entrance exams. Um, are, are all of them, should they all be prosecuted criminally for what they are doing? Um, the, the kid who's taking the SAT, who looks over the shoulder and copies off of someone who's next to him in the ACT room, should he be charged criminally for what he's doing? So I, I think there is a, a real discussion that we should be having uh, about whether or not this should be dealt with, that the FBI, the most elite law enforcement uh, unit in the world, should be the ones handling um, this type of issue, or if it can be dealt with through our system of civil justice and the schools can 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 do what they want against the people who are cheating uh their way into entrance so to me it's a discussion i don't know which way it should go because i look at the the what they're actually charged with here that and i'm talking about the parents now mm-hmm. not the ringleader who who was caught uh that's a, that's another in, uh, uh, another issue i want to talk about in a second but with the parents um it, it, you know they've been charged with 
uh, wire fraud and mail fraud and fraud of honest services. So the, the legal theory behind wrapping them up into a federal criminal indictment to me is a, is a little, you know, it's, it's kind of in the gray area. It's pushing the envelope. It's being uh, pretty aggressive as a prosecutor. And, and who is the victim in all this? If you read the papers like I have, the victim in the cases involving the parents, the victim is the school. You know, we all think of the victims being the kids that didn't get into the school, but they're saying the victim is the school because the school has been deprived of the services, the honest services of their coaches who they've hired, who have taken these bribes from the ringleader of the whole thing. So allegedly, of course, um, although he has, uh, uh, you know, admitted his guilt in court. So to me, it's, it's sort of a very aggressive federal prosecutor and it comes back to an issue we talked about before which is okay um you know why exactly you're bringing a case like this and, and, and doing it this way um you know bringing all these parents in and their behavior outrageous the kids should not be allowed in the kids should be kicked out maybe if they've gone through and graduated maybe they don't they don't get their diploma i don't know what the civil remedy is but i don't know about locking um people up for for cheating right and and so where exactly is the line is my question well are they setting an example i mean is that that the whole thing here oh yeah yeah oh there'll be tons of deterrence trust me so so yeah you you definitely win that way and and i think that's that's a good thing that uh, you know parents are now uh awakened to the fact that hey this is not a plausible way to try to get an edge to get your child into school so the deterrence aspect of it is is, is there. But if you look at the way it's being prosecuted, uh, you're talking about locking people up. The, 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 uh, the, the, the level of the bail amounts is through the roof. I mean, higher than uh, most homicide cases that you'll see that aren't murder cases. Um, so uh, I'm wondering on the scale of things and, and what we want our criminal system of justice to be used for versus our civil uh, system of justice to be used for. I think that's the discussion that I'd like to have. Well, the other aspect of this discussion, too, then becomes what's the likelihood we're going to see some plea deals coming forth? Well, here's the other thing. This is the way this, the feds, the feds, right, <laughs> the federal prosecutors, this is the way they usually um, uh, prosecute a case, investigate a case. And let's take the world of drugs, right, which is, which is horrible, right? They'll, they'll arrest people and then get them to flip and to um, testify and give them information uh, about someone higher up in the chain of command. So mm-hmm. maybe someone gets wrapped up with possession of drugs, and then they flip, and then they'll tell you who their street dealer is. Then the street dealer will tell you who the distributor is, who will then tell you who the kingpin is, and then finally you get the kingpin. In this case, in this investigation, the kingpin was one of the first people arrested. I think it all started with the uh, Yale uh, coach soccer coach but then almost immediately got to the kingpin and then the kingpin is the one wearing a wire so federal prosecutors could figure out who the other coaches were and who the parents were so rather than using the parents to work their way up the chain they had the kingpin and worked their way down the chain to make this into a bigger case which is very unusual for prosecutors which is why um there's, there's nothing now for the parents, any information for them to give to prosecutors. So there may be some trials here in these cases 
at a minimum, they're going to be fully litigated to all the legal issues like the ones I was talking about. Like, is this actually a crime under our mail fraud statute? Mm. Very interesting discussion we're having with Vinnie Politan, who's the lead anchor of Court TV. Court TV is relaunching in May of this year, courttv.com, the website. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in our discussion, Vinnie and his background is a lawyer, a former prosecutor, and he's kind enough to have joined us this hour of our program on the fan. What I'd said we'd try to do as well is to work in a thought or two from some of the folks listening to us. 877-337-6666. People join us at various points in discussion. Let's go to uh, over to New Jersey to Brian and Red Bank. Brian, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Uh, yes, good morning, gentlemen. I'm listening this morning. I have a question um, specifically for New, uh, New Jersey Municipal Court. Uh-oh. Uh, well, not so bad. Um, I'm not an attorney. I've always had an interest in the law, but uh, I don't try to act like I'm one. But I always enjoyed, not enjoyed, but I respect the profession. And uh, obviously, Mr. Napolitan, I'm not trying to, you know, kiss butt or anything, but your your perspective is unique to here. Anyway, regarding what happened to me, I had a, uh, not a moving violation. I didn't have a, a valid registration on me. But anyway, I went to the court. Uh, the initial court date, and um, I got, they were going to dismiss the case, but I wouldn't pay the court cost of $33, just out of principle. So my question is this, if I write a letter to the judge, they adjourned it at the initial appearance, after my initial appearance, but that now there's another court date scheduled. Um, if I write a letter to the judge, does New Jersey even have the availability of a, uh, I know in New York, they, I think they call it a contemplation and uh, rather uh, a German in contemplation of dismissal. If I write a letter to the judge, can I ultimately ask for that in municipal court down in Monmouth County? I don't want to be any more specific. Um, and I've, if I ask the judge in the letter to dismiss the case based on the facts without me having to go back to the court, is that an option? Uh, you could try to do it, and, and, and the, the judge is one person who can dismiss it. You could try to convince the prosecutor it's not worth uh, pursuing. But my guess, if they adjourned it, uh, when you get back there, uh, they may be ready to go to trial at that point and try the case if it's not going to be worked out. And uh, not knowing the, the nature of why there was going to be a dismissal but still paying the, the court costs, um, my guess is, is that they just wanted to move the case get it off, clear the docket. And, and just know this going in, that in municipal courts, their main concern uh, is always is revenue, unfortunately. Uh, that keeps mm -hmm. the court running. Um, so your best bet, if you can get out of something without points, though, um, principles are great, but it's going to cost you more time and effort. Um, and, and the question you have to ask yourself is, what is your, your time worth going there again and again? Uh, but you can try with the letter. Um, I would also make the arguments to the prosecutor, maybe try to get the prosecutor on the phone to see if you can work something out uh, and then maybe memorialize it with a, with a letter. Um, but good luck. Um, but, but no going in that uh, municipal courts notoriously are, are known for wanting to keep the revenue flowing to keep themselves in business. I, under, I understand that, and, and I appreciate that. I, I just want to just be certain that I, I'd rather pay for a stamp than the uh, than thirty three dollars cost, not out of being cheap, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, let me tell you, you get 
you get out of you get out of out of uh, municipal court just for thirty three dollars, you did well. Okay, <laughs> you're proud of yourself, and you didn't have to pay a lawyer. <laughs> well, I know I did well, but now uh, now that I did well, I want to do excellent. And excellent is a, a fifty cent stamp and have it go away. I mean, it was a I was driving a car with an out of state license plate on it, but the registration actually is on the sticker for that particular state. So the, well, if you can if you can demonstrate and prove your case through the mail, you may be able to convince the prosecutor to to to, to uh, drop the charges and, and get it all done. Uh, I think it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot if you're if you're factually innocent. It's always worth a shot. Do I write the letter to the uh, judge and CC the uh, prosecutor? Or do I write the letter to the prosecutor and CC the judge, or both independent letters, separate letters? Uh, I would I would do one letter, but I would do the the CC. I would go. I would, go to the prosecutor because they have the ability to say we're dismissing the case the judge dismisses it after hearing arguments from both sides but a prosecutor could dismiss it on his or her own and then let the judge know that the case has been dismissed brian okay, thank you thank for your call good luck to you well, too thank you uh mr Politan. good luck with uh court tv i'm glad to hear it's coming back. thank you sir <laughs> thank you good appreciate it yeah let me Court TV is coming back in May of this year. Vinny Politan, lead anchor of Court TV, courttv.com, the website. Vinny, thank you very much for your kindness in joining us this morning. Uh, it's been so much fun. Thanks so much. Let's go Mets. All right. On our program this Sunday morning, we've had a fun fest happening here. And after our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is in with the Sports Edge program. After our 9 o'clock update, well, you know, fun cranks up another level. You know who will be here. He's going to be talking baseball. Imagine that after 9 this morning. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.